0: Hi, maidens this is Adrienne Barbeau, your nightlight, and you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And yes, genius, you can call me Billy.
1: Out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from. This is the Nightmare Junkhead podcast, a horror podcast that somehow always messed up pop-up books as a kid. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee, and on today's episode, our celebration of Women in Horror Month takes us to Australia as we look into the filmography of Jennifer Kent and whether or not you've been down under. You can listen into our show simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up
0: in your duke hole.
1: (sniffs) And if you happen to get Wi-Fi in the Outback, (laughs) you can find us out on social media. Uh, We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course, it is on the Book of Face, where we have an events tab, which again leads to... Shenanigans! And non-dower shenanigans. (laughs) And as this episode is releasing on Friday, February 12th, Screenland Armor, they've got your genre needs taken care of indoors. And virtually. And on that very Friday... Fuck yeah! This yes. is going to be great, dude. Talk about non-dower. This is going to be great. This is going to be violent and
0: bloody and wonderful. And it's going to be a cold February day, too. You, you
1: will not be surrey to come out for our latest <clears throat> Friday Night Fright, a film celebrating its 40th year of terror. Tear. 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 We're talking... My Bloody Valentine. The Restored Cut. Yes, this is the one that has the gore included, mm-hmm. which we had a chance. It's so wonderfully violent. It's so wonderfully violent. It takes a
0: movie. I don't know what it is about the gore, but it takes a movie that's already great and makes
1: it fucking great. Add that Canadian charm. You've got a classic that you need to see up on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that next Friday. Oh, yes! Yes! Dun, 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 dun,
0: dun, 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 We're going to have royalty. Fucking the GGP is in the house next Friday.
1: We are going to be having her Kansas City premiere of The Stylist, which... It's
0: great. It's a great movie.
1: And I know that at this point, I believe the Friday night is close to selling out as much as we can within everything being socially mm-hmm. distanced. So if you've not picked up your tickets yet, please do so. Yeah, you there do. will
0: there will probably won't be any at the door.
1: No, but she will be making appearances at both of the screenings on the 19th and the 22nd. Mm-hmm. So make sure to check that out. But if you're in the mood for love this weekend, oh hey, boy. Wait
0: because you're near me.
1: <laughs> this weekend at Screenland, we've got one of my all-time favorite kind of fanboyish wish fulfillment films. We're talking uh, the Tony Scott classic, True Romance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's a little bit uh, Tarantino wish fulfillment, but Mm -hmm. I can't fault him at that point. But if you take all the fun genre actors in that movie, it's such a great experience. Mm -hmm. And then two films that are going to be first-time viewings for me, uh, Total I've Seen That's the Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein's the
0: shit, dude. Elsa Lancaster is wonderful. That is the one of the very few first events for horror club I put on at Screenland was the Bride of Frankenstein Valentine's Day feature. Really? Yeah. I uh. love that movie. Elsa Lancaster is one of my horror crushes. She is beautiful and scary and haunting and mesmerizing. Bride of Frankenstein is Fucking wonderful.
1: Well, and it's, one well, I know all about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that technically the people that say, oh, I want to be our couple relationship wants to be like this, I know t- technically that's not necessarily the way it's, it's supposed to be. It's not necessarily
0: a good thing. It's so not necessarily a good
1: thing. I know enough to know that, but then the other one that I'm going to be watching for the first time is Casablanca.
0: Ooh, I've seen that.
1: I know, I know. I, well, I've been filling in those classic films here lately, which has been fantastic, so I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Bogey at 12 o'clock.
1: <laughs> a lot of mean mugging there. Now, of course, if you're not ready to go indoor here with the theater, uh, that not that very following Saturday on the 13th, we have our latest Shudder Shoutout, mm-hmm. and we have a Women in Horror Month double feature, and it's kind of a total mismatch, is it not?
0: It is op- It is breakneck mismatch, because you're going to be like, holy shit, and then you're going to be giggling uncontrollably.
1: We're going to be starting with the film Revenge and then following up with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> totally opposite movies into the spectrum. I, I, We went in with good intentions with this mm-hmm. double feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then following the application, now I will say this, Revenge is one that I've seen multiple times in the theater. It's going to be a first time viewing for you, correct? Yes. Excellent. Now, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark it's gonna be. It's been a minute since I've seen it. It's gonna be a first time viewing for me. Really? So I am looking forward to that. It's
0: got Edie McClure. She's a righteous dude.
1: I also know it has one Kurt Fuller as well. Yes, it does. Jockass. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, holding out hope on that. Now, of course, that is free to stream on Shutter if you have it, and if you don't have it, my goodness, do it. What's what's stopping you? There's seven day free trials. I think the shut in code is active again. So. Definitely try that. Oh, how weird is that at this point? Right. Coming back around to that. Now, of course, if you would like some extra content that includes exclusive pre-show, uh, introduction, trailer reel, and of course scintillating post-film discussion, all you have to do is become a member of the Screenland film family by heading over to patreon.com slash screenland. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's just the tip of the tier. They have a number of things to offer you all out there. But, Genius, if we're talking uh, film family and Patreon... a hey, Pally's! Of course, we have some exclusive Patreon content. We'd love for you to come on over and join our film family.
0: Mm-hmm. Be a belly, Be a
1: Patreon belly. In fact, if you would like to hear my thoughts on The Bride of Frankenstein and Casablanca, all you have to do is join our Squidly Diddly tier. Mm-hmm. For $1 a month, not only are you going to get a shout-out on the show, you're going to have access to the said Shutter shout-out content. Yep. As well as the I've seen that little mini episodes I put out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.
0: And really, normally a Squidly Diddly is going to cost you way more than a dollar. So like, oh no.
1: <laughs> so definitely, it's a good deal. My goodness, I didn't even think about that.
0: <laughs> it's it costs way more than monetary
1: supplements. I, I'd like to think our Squidly Diddly market corrected. The other squiddly diddlies out there. Right.
0: La, da, da, da.
1: And of course, we do have our latest commentary track where we talked Jackie Kong's blood diner.
0: Hail Sheetar!
1: Truly had a blood buffet. So if you would like to have access to that and join our film family, head on over to Patreon.com/slash Nightmare Junkhead. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last week we dealt with trauma. Yes. But we dealt with we dealt with it in the cozy confines of the California hills.
0: Right, in a swingers party. You, you,
1: Worst ways to go out, right? Exactly. Well, this week, it turns out we're going to still be dealing with grief and trauma. Yes. But we're traveling back to a place that we went to last month in the <laughs> wide world of weird. Nobody's melting this time. At least not physically. Emotionally melting, yes.
0: But nobody's like just... And 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 and, and nobody's getting... Um, Lobotomized with a drill. So, this is probably one of the tamest trips to Australia we took
1: physically. Ah, but mentally mentally and spiritually. It was
0: rough as shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, it continues to be rough as shit as it is. But thankfully, genius, we've got a guide to help us through here. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you might know our next guest work uh, over at the Rue Morgue magazine, rumorg.com and that shelf. Uh, she is also a member of the Chicago Film Critics Association. As well as being a devotee to one George A. Romero, please welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time, Dee Dee Crimmins.
2: Oh, hey! Everything you said is true.
1: That is good. That is good. We have started <laughs> off
0: right. No, no lies detected.
1: <laughs> now, before we truly start talking here, um, before, again, we all lay down on the couch to talk our problems, uh, where can our listeners find you out on social media? Please plug and promote away.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I put just about everything I write onto my Twitter feed at some point. So um, my Twitter handle is Krim. That's D-E-D-E-C-R-I-M. So that's just the easiest way to find me.
1: Now, one of the things with uh, in a normal scenario is you actually do a lot of uh, festival work, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially here within the Midwest. Um, I think we're really starting to get between Chicago, Kansas City, you know, uh, you know, Texas. Now, there's some really good stuff out there. Um, By any chance, have you been virtually attending any festivals? And If you have, is there anything good out there that some of our horror hounds should be uh, checking out?
2: Yes, I have been attending virtual fest this whole time, so it's, you know, fewer hard pants involved, but other than that, it's just mostly the same things, uh, and far less beer, but um, I recently watched a lot of Sundance films over the past couple weeks, um, because that fest was happening virtually, and they always have a really good, strong horror track there, like, if you look back at Speaking of the Baba Dude, like, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, Blair Witch Project premiered at Sunday, so they definitely have a rich history of it, even though they're, you know, a little, have a reputation for being a little snooty. Um, but recently, certain films that I definitely need to get on your radar, there was one called, um, I'm not sure if you guys heard any buzz from the fest, but um, called We're All Going to the World's Fair.
1: Have not, but I'm writing it down right now.
2: Oh man, it's like this young girl is like, she's probably like between... And she reads some sort of creepy pasta about kind of like it's like an online Bloody Mary, and if you do this initiation, you're uh, you know, in theory, put in touch with some sort of World's Fair esque world that's like a um, multiplayer game online where people just kind of like it's a horror game and people freak each other out, and it's not clear if it's real. It's not clear if she understands that it might not be real, or if it's not clear that it's actually happening to her. It's just—it's really creepy as shit. And there's like a couple scenes where it's just haunting watching this girl, and you don't know what's—you know—is it an act or what? So I really enjoyed that. It's just a lot of quiet time watching this girl watch in the internet, which is—you know—horrifying.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, anything else that we should be looking
2: out for? Yeah. Yeah. There's a new Ben Wheatley that was there. That is definitely a return to his horror roots. Called In the Earth which is, I saw a little excited face there that no one can hear, but Ben Wheatley is one of my favorite directors. So I've had he's had a couple of missteps, but um, I he kind of gets back a little bit to folk horror of this one, and it's just like a hike, hiking expedition that's a kind of reconnaissance to find a um, scientist who's out in the woods researching and no one's heard from her for a couple of weeks and like shit goes down. It's great.
1: That's the kind of stuff that we like. The shit goes well, and it's when you talk about some of the, the the snobbery potentially with some of those film festivals. You know, we always joke that anything that's going to be more high class is going to be of the A twenty four variety.
0: Yes, of the A twenty four flavor, and then potentially mm-hmm. of the
1: Ben Wheatley, we might get a little bit more of the like. Spectra- give me Spectrovision. Yeah.
0: That's the give me that one. Give me Raven Banner.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs>
1: absolutely. Oh, well,
2: it was fun. It was funny at the fest because, like, um, a bunch of people, you know, we're chatting with, because, as you know, film critics are an incestuous group. We were just talking about, like, well, you know, where do you think World's Fair is going to go? And a bunch of people were like, well, I'd love to see Meon get it, but it feels a oscilloscope. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with us? <laughs> like, that's just, like, actual conversations that we can have and that I enjoy taking part in. But, like, yeah, that definitely the personality of a lot of the distributors comes out, especially as you pay close attention to fests and what gets picked up and what doesn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's kind of cool to see that happen actually with almost within real time at this point just the way everything occurs yeah um mm-hmm. by any chance Didi, were you at uh, Sin apocalypse when Verotica happened
2: God fucking damn it and I wish I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> you mean did you see Le Neck Breaker, the world premiere I was there fucking Danzig was there like <clears throat> i I got home and I was so angry I wrote my review that night and it was to the point where the, so I wrote it for a room org and then the next day Entertainment Weekly did an online story about the reactions to Veronica and because I was one of the first reviews out it ended up um, they quoted me in there but I was like this fucking piece of shit sexist I can't like my vocabulary is not extreme enough to explain exactly how much of a turd this thing is. So, yes, I was there. And also, like, I don't know if you guys have heard anything about the Q&A. Because Danzig did a Q&A. Mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. like, I film with F- F-stops. I'm sure you guys heard this from Adrian. I was sitting right next to him. But, like, he's like, I film with F-stops. And everyone's like, that's not a thing, you moron. Like, And he, at one point, was like, yeah, I didn't realize I made a comedy. But you guys were laughing and you seem to enjoy it. I'm like, oh. no, we're laughing at it's, you. Yeah. At you. Yeah. There,
1: there was no, no width no along that one. Now, by any chance is any have you seen the trailer for the new one? I have
0: not seen the trailer yet, but I I'm definitely going to because it can't be any a bigger piece of shit than Veronica.
2: And like, Don't say that, because it might be. That's
0: right. It's like, oh, what else can happen? It starts to rain. So yeah, no. I, I Western vampires, I'm hooked alone on the 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 whole premise of it because you know I love westerns I love vampires and like something like that sounds great but in Glenn Danzig's hand is is one going to be how the all I am the neckbreaker you know and just like a big spider cowboy
1: spitting tobacco absolutely Ting! yeah do you think we'll get the Danzig cover of Crambone <laughs> crambone, <laughs>
2: crambone, tell your children oh. not to walk. Like. Well, it's just like his films. His one film basing this off of that, but I have a feeling this is going to be a pattern. Feels like a bad porn parody without penetration. I
0: totally fucking agree. We did a commentary on Veronica. No, 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 just an episode. Oh, just an episode on yeah, it. Not a and commentary. I swear, when we were watching it, it felt like there should be like a Brazzers logo at the bottom of it the whole time. Like, try not to come. One of those, like, fucking, like, porn things on there. It's like, ah. Uh, it, I felt dirty yep. after watching it, like, yep. extremely dirty and, like, no, no. Genius,
1: they're coming to take no. you away.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> to the funny Uh story, no. Too many boobs. Yeah. After the Veronica screening at Apocalypse, they like, as is customary in the film festival world, there was a karaoke party right afterwards. And I went with a couple friends and we just sat kind of staring at each other and we're like, I'm, I, I just can't, I can't get into a good mood. And like legend has it that someone was singing mother cause it was supposed to be like a heavy metal karaoke karaoke party. Um, apparently Danzig walked in when someone was in the middle of butchering mother and he walked right back out. I would have liked to see that more than his film.
0: That's karma. That's what yeah. that, that's, that's what karma. that is. And he walks in like Tiny little oh. uh,
1: Now, of course though, and I the reason I mention it is because that's what's great with the film festivals is sometimes the the film itself is not necessarily good, but the reaction and that communal experience of the experience is what is more memorable. And I mm-hmm. won't lie, that's you know, that's one of the things that I've attended a couple of the virtual festivals and it's been nice to have access to the films and not necessarily have to go out. But at the same time, it's just such a different beast, you know, being in a theater, even a socially distanced one, you still have that communal reaction when things happen. And Mm -hmm. it's a bummer to miss like that. But at the same time though, I'm still glad they're finding ways to get the films out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm, um, you know, compromised. So like, I'm not going to go into the theater. until me and everyone there I know is going to be, um, Uh, vaccinated, but that's just my situation right now, but cinema is a social act, and I firmly believe that, and for me, it was uh, honestly a little bit of a pivot, like, if I'm at home, and I have to watch a comedy to review, like, like, I have an issue, I have trouble telling if it's funny, because, like, I feel like my sense of humor is kind of sick and twisted. And if a joke doesn't land on me, I'm just like, well, that's dumb. But like, if you're in a theater with everyone else laughing, at least you can acknowledge that. Like maybe I was in a bad mood that day, something like that. And I've watched films where I was like, oh, this is a dark comedy. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it was just an incompetent director. But were I in a theater, I might have been a little bit more aware of other audiences' reactions. So
1: that totally makes sense. And again, it's something that I am glad then that as someone that is a good critic, that is you still have access to that so you can still have that outlet which is really good because that was I know the biggest thing concern that this year's Panic Fest is going to be part virtual and then part in person so ideally you'll be able to attend this year Didi which is awesome mm. uh, and I know they are going to try to create like some virtual hangouts but those in the Kansas City area will probably be the ones I would assume that would probably be the ones in the, I really don't know if any, you never know, someone might travel out, which, you know, that's we'll fine, be but dope. just be, be careful, be cautious mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we can continue to do this in a safe environment. Absolutely. Yep.
2: Now, yeah, And I will say, as far as those virtual hangs, like I know, um, sorry, <laughs> um, certain PR people have set them up for different fests, like mostly using like the Gather platform they're great like you can wander around and see people like i mean of course it's not the same as actually being in a bar and like getting kicked out at 2 a.m and finding the next bar like that's the charm of a film festival but at least there's you know it's not the best but it's something Mm
1: -hmm. is it is the equivalent at this point where like a little bleep comes up and says you have like you know your your little breakout room is about to end please leave you know you don't have to stay on this website, but you uh, don't, he can't go home. Yeah, it's so bizarre. But I'll tell you when I
0: had enough cookies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bizarre environment we live in. But again, it's actually, I know I'm going to be incorporating a lot of the stuff that we're utilizing now kind of in my everyday life. I am not, I love wearing a mask, especially in the cold weather. Mm-hmm. That thing is freaking wonderful. It's and I just I like also not necessarily just having to you know engage socially when I'm out there a mask on people leave you alone. Mm-hmm. I'm
2: like please don't touch me. To most people, like most of the time, so oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, completely, completely. Now, since you are a first time guest here, uh, Dee, Dee one of the questions we always ask of any first timer is what is your horror origin? I.e., what is it that got you into horror? Was it a movie? Was it a book? Was it a relative? But what was it that made you look at horror and go, this is something I can get into?
2: I love that you guys asked me this. And I probably, in my mind, my answer is probably the most boring thing that I could possibly say. But I have a feeling you might disagree. And I look (laughs) welcome to hear that. I was raised in a genre household. My mother is a lifelong every, you know, genre sci-fi fantasy horror fan. Um, And she's like one of the editors for the New York Review of Science Fiction. Like I grew up going to science fiction conventions. I went to my first Worldcon when I was six. Like I didn't have an option to do that. Like if I'd gotten really into romantic comedies, this would have been my rebellion. But I was raised watching all the universal horror. I was raised watching the Twilight Zone. It was, you know, if you're going to read something, you read the Roald Dahl witches when you're a little kid. Like there was never any delineation for me like oh this is like a you know a forbidden thing or something that is you know slightly naughty and i'm sneaking away like no this was just what was available in my parents house so i went along with that entirely
1: so how many films did you see at a young age that you probably shouldn't have seen seen at a young
2: age oh god Uh, well i this extended beyond genre to the point where like My dad's favorite film is The Producers. So, like, I had to be told not to sing Springtime for Hitler on the playground. Like, pulled into the principal's office level, discussed with me. So, like, (laughs) that was a thing. And it just, it didn't occur to it's not that my parents were like ultra cool or revolutionary They were just kind of like, this is on, I don't care if there's a kid in the room. And I was like, well, of course I'm going to watch it. There's dancing Nazis. Like this is fascinating. <laughs> so, um, in terms of films that like really scarred me, like, of course I have all those memories where like those orange guys in labyrinth that tear each other's heads off were the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen at that age. Um, I also have a very vivid memory. My sister who's two years older than me, um, rented Candyman for a sleepover and I snuck downstairs to watch it like I I literally like crouched behind the couch so none of her friends knew I was there and I watched Candyman that way and I was just like well this was a mistake because I couldn't fall asleep (laughs) at all that night
0: Do you want some sweets? No, 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 no
2: (laughs) I'm like looking back like there's no way they didn't know I was there they were probably just like no one wanted to move and make room on the couch so
1: (laughs) I was I was very lucky also to have the very permissive parents. They just established early, hey, this stuff is you know fantasy. It's not reality. There's a separation of that. Go hog wild. So I was watching mm-hmm. hard bodies when I shouldn't have been. I was watching the <laughs> horror movies and everything. Yeah. So it's what's funny though is I think a lot of us all did that. And ideally, I think we're all for the most part somewhat well adjusted. Well, we'll get into that here when well. we get into our films. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I did we did get a lot of calls when I was 10 years old and I showed all my friends at a sleepover a Rocky Horror Picture Show. A lot of ah, calls the next day.
1: Don't dream it, be it. <laughs> yeah. Well, genius, didn't you also get uh to the principal's office? A
0: lot, actually. One time the the one like there where I was accused of being a satan worshipper was in my middle school shop class. I think I was in 5th, 6th grade at the time. And we were making those plexiglass clocks. Mm-hmm. And then like, okay, bring in the magazine so you can cut out pictures and make your clock all decorative. If you don't have magazines here, we bring you some. And there's, like, people and time and National Geographic. So I brought in Fangoria, <laughs> Starlog. I brought in Famous Monsters of Filmland. And so, like, I'm cutting out all these pictures, like uh, – <laughs> Chucky was above the 12, and there was like the oatmeal monster from Cast of Deadly Spells, the six, and there was all these different like eyeballs and throat cuts and all this terrible shit. Wonderful, awesome shit, right? And (laughs) young genius, (laughs) you need to go to the principal's office because you're a Satan worshiper and this is evil, and I will not have this. (laughs) I will not have this blasphemy in my class, right? So I got sent to the principal's office, and they called my mom, and they said it was inappropriate for me to to have that kind of thing. And my mom was like, he likes horror, scary stuff. He's not a killer. He knows it's fake. You said bring in magazines, and he did. So... Yeah, I don't like, she goes, I don't like the clock myself, but if he made it, it's
1: it's his. So like, yeah, she went to bat for me on that one. There's something to be said for the artistic freedom that Mm -hmm. goes along with that. But I love that a lot of us just have those moments as kids that have really made a difference into who we are today. The fact that, you know, I'm now, Genius and I are both in our 40s and are probably more into genre and films than we ever were Mm -hmm. at that time, but... I'm glad I had a chance and it's always interesting when people have that familiar background and that foundation of the genre films and the horror films and how they just, how you end up, you know, gravitating to some versus others and how those tastes are formed. Now, by any chance, have you ever rebelled and gone into the romantic comedies?
2: (laughs) I like all movies. Like when it comes down to it, I recognize their value there. I think, I mean, I was always a horror genre fan for as long as I can remember. I think the one I pivoted and really leaned hard into it was when I um, started studying it um, as an undergraduate because I have an undergraduate film degree as well as a graduate film degree. And like realizing that the way that I was responding to it was a pattern and it was reactionary and like in this like feedback loop and in conversation with culture and history and things like that. Like I found that fascinating and psychology. So like for me, I think that's when I like really leaned into it hard and like, I'll still watch whatever. And I, I still, especially as a reviewer, like sometimes who does re- do review wide release things for um an alt weekly in Virginia right now, like, Oh, I'll review it. It's fine. I have a Minari review coming out tomorrow. It's okay. Like, it doesn't mean it's my favorite kind of film, but like, I'd like to think that I'm not going to take a big dump on it just because no one gets beheaded.
1: You're a a film nerd, not a film snob. So there's always kind of i
2: I'm probably still a film snob.
1: (laughs) At least you can admit it. That's okay. That's the first step. That's the first (laughs) step. Well, talking about like some very heady films and kind of getting taken an academic take on it, I'm really glad then we're going to be exploring the filmography of this particular filmmaker. Uh, Jennifer Kent's movies have moved me in ways that I probably wasn't prepared for. I know genius definitely has taken a journey as well. Uh, but Didi, what is your, what was your familiarity with Jennifer Kent? What has been your journey with her films?
2: Um, well, I first saw Babadook when it came when it was at um, Fantastic Fest so that was, you know, it had gotten buzzed out of Sundance. People were kind of aware of the fact that there was this new and up and coming thing. And, you know, it was the scary film that come out in years. Which, like, I'm sure you have this experience as horror fans. You're like, yeah, is it though? Because, like, you guys actually haven't seen any of the horror films that you're saying aren't scary. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: okay. Yep.
2: Okay. Um, so I saw it then. I thought it was absolutely incredible. It floored me. I wanted to engage with it just because there's so much going on in it in terms of like, I'm really concerned, you know, with gender construction and the role of motherhood and things like that. I'm But I'm a cat mother, so it's not like I have a, you know, a horse in this race. But the fact that so often the value of a woman is tied to her ability to procreate and her ability to be beautiful and things like that, I think societal values of women are really heavily heaped upon them. Um, and whether or not that means that they're a meaningful person to have on this earth. So the fact that it deals with a lot of that head on and the quality of parenting and psychological trauma and loss, my God. I mean, I'm just like rattling all this stuff on. And so I absolutely adore that. And then from then, once that got released wide and I'd seen it, um, both a fantastic Fest And then I saw it again at the, um, Telluride horror show that year. So I got to revisit it fairly soon after with an audience as well. And then I went back and have you guys seen the short film that it's based on that she made?
0: Duke saves Christmas.
1: <laughs> that's wow. the, that's the Christmas one. No, it's uh the monster. Yeah, we um, it actually played this last year at Screenland, and I programmed the pre-show mm. and the trailers, and it was available on YouTube. So I put that as part of the pre-show, just so people could see kind of the origins of uh. the Duke. Not during Christmas, more of a birthday esque, you know, celebration. Oh, okay. Definitely, because I was looking
0: at the thing and i like the short film, because I thought Monster was the full length, was like the short film. <laughs> Duke Saves Christmas? That one?
1: (laughs) Not quite. That's actually, technically, if we're talking the Dukes, that would um, be the Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Damn it, what is the name of that? Trading Uh, Places? Trading Places, there we go, there we go. No, um, but no, I completely agree, just in terms of everything that is presented in the film. But Genius, I remember, because I I didn't see... I saw it... You saw it with me? With you, yeah, Uh in this theater, technically. And I remember enjoying it. Um, I will say this. I liked it my first time. I viewed it. Haven't watched it since. Revisited for this episode. I walked away loving it. Just straight up loving it. Genius, I know you had kind of an interesting history with this Oh, one. I had
0: issues with that movie. I had major <laughs> issues with the movie. First of all, it's the scariest movie you'll ever see, and, like, it's so terrifying, it'll shake you to your core. And that was before It Comes at Night. That was before Hereditary. That was before all of that shit. And so, like, it almost seemed like it started with the Babadook. It's the scariest movie of the new millennium of the decade. And then so I'm thinking, especially since this is the first type of shit, like, mass, like, Everybody is talking about this. I went okay, so I already had that expectation and that hype. And you know what happens if that hype does and that expectation it's... does not get met? Yeah. So I was like, this movie is fucking stupid. I hate that kid. You know, it's like I en- I enjoyed the movie, but I didn't think it was the end all, be all second coming of horror. Like I, from what it sounded like, everybody was praising it upon. And so I just kind of dismissed them. Like, have you seen the Bob Duke? Yeah, I've seen the Bob Duke. What are you thinking? Whatever. This go around, it hit me. It hit me hard. And like, I, I, I still don't think it's the end all, be all of horror. I still don't think it's like, oh, it's the best fucking movie I've ever seen. You know, but at the same time, I grew a great big deal of appreciation for it more so, where I will see it again and mm. I will like, want to see what happens and i want to continue that journey and i actually especially after this and the nightingale and all that stuff i really came to appreciation for jennifer kent style and like and some of the things that it's dealing with especially some of the themes that it's dealing with in the babadook mm. and i think it's one of those where it hits you but it doesn't affect you until you've already been affected by it you know what? What the themes that it's bringing up. If you have no real like, like you said, if you have no real dog in the in the emotional fight, then it's not gonna do anything for you. Uh, like the, some of the people with, with Relic, you know, like it hit a lot of people hard. with well, the people who have dealt with dementia, who have dealt with the family cycle of of, of losing oneself, and I, I think at the time when I first saw it, one it was like the the Babadook, one the hype always fucking gets me Mm -hmm. but then two i don't think i was ready to face some of my own problems that i dealt with head on like i'm not saying i'm ready now but i definitely i know my own personal babadooks now i know my own personal griefs and things that are holding me down and by back then i don't think i knew as much as i did and so with this subsequent subsequent viewing it definitely opened my eyes to a lot more of what she was going for and i really appreciated it this time
1: well something we we'll, we talk about is the baggage you bring mm-hmm. every time you watch a movie can be different and obviously you brought in some baggage this time yeah. <laughs> that it's like
0: i'm still like fuck that kid but at the same time <laughs> i'm
1: i'm not like fuck that kid
0: as much right. you
1: know well and that's when uh, re- Talking about like going back to last week and you know the invitation when I had that moment a few years ago that moved me to go, I need to improve my life. Otherwise, I'm gonna end up like you know Eden there. This is a movie that is all about addressing grief and trauma and what happens if you don't. It manifests itself into this nasty, gnarly thing that it takes over you. It it literally will take over you and destroy everything you love if you don't deal with the grief or.
0: If if your own personal babadook is not grief, if it's depression, if it's if it's feeling lost, if it's it's remorse, if it's anything, your own personal babadook is exactly what that is. You have to at least acknowledge it, or it will take over you and destroy everything you
2: love. And yeah, I think to that effect, I always think about like the Joe Hill quote: "Like horror is extreme empathy," and it's like. If you're throwing, like, your heart up on screen and just whatever you're going through, you're just, like, empathetically, like, trying to hold the hand of whoever is being projected back at you, like, the fact that you're just feeling that connection there, even, like, if you're not going through the exact same thing, is just something that is so difficult, but when it works, it pays off so incredibly well. mm mm-hmm.
1: And I'm, I guess I'm it's some way of saying I'm glad it it affected you in that way because yeah. I was kind of curious to see how this movie. We were even talking like oh, I got to revisit the Babadook. Yeah, because I was now. like, man, fuck, I don't want to see
0: this movie again. I already seen it. I already decided I don't like it. You know, but yeah, no, I I really significantly enjoyed it more, and it was like you said that seeing it with new eyes and yeah. different perspectives.
1: Well, I, I want to kind of figure out a way to analyze the film a little bit, but you've already mentioned it a little bit, Genius. I'm curious, Didi, on your end, how do you feel with Noah Wiseman's performance as Samuel? Because a lot of people will say a kid actor can make or break your film, and I know that he has a lot of um, haters out there, potentially. Although this time, watching it, this, this viewing, I really appreciated the performance and the kind of the, the, the kid's position. Where do you fall on that spectrum?
2: I hate the character so much. I think it's a beautiful performance. Like if we were just like, eh, that kid's fine. Like that wouldn't have been sufficient in here. Like I think a lot of the hatred of him is, I don't want to say confusion, but like, there's like a muddling between like, do I hate the kid? Do I hate kids in general? Or do I hate this kid specifically? Cause he won't stop kicking the car seat. Like, I think that, a lot of children wouldn't have committed to the role as much. Cause I think we've all seen kids that very are clearly are reserved. And I think when I criticize child actors, it's usually that, um, but no, I, he does such an incredible job and it's so important that he be such an awful child.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause if he was Mimi from psycho Gorman, it wouldn't be the same at all. You know, with this one, I still despised the kid and I still think he's annoying. He needs to get at least yelled at a couple of times. <laughs> but at the same time, as right to the point where I was like, yeah, I can see why you're telling your kid to eat shit. But then he'll do something incredibly sweet. Oh. And he'll do something incredibly loving. And you got to. And then I realized he's just a kid. You know, he's just a kid dealing with he still loves his mom, but he doesn't know why he does that thing, these things that he does. And at the same time, I kind of identified with the kid too at the point where I was like, you know what? I can be a hundred percent little shit like that, even though I'm I think I'm meaning well. You know? And so like this movie really fucking threw me for a loop. Like, and 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 it's I don't hate kids. At all, I, I, I actually think I like kids, but I like to see them get hurt sometimes too. And so, like, <laughs> you, you know,
1: kid falling, kid getting scared. I watch kid fail videos for fun. How often do we giggle at that point in Pet Cemetery where little Gage falls backwards?
0: <laughs> I <laughs> Not mean, it's fair. Horrible. Boom! But at the same time, like, so, but I do love kids, yeah. but at, but at the, again, I don't know what it's like. To raise a child, especially a child with issues like that? Yeah. Like, I was trying to be empathetic, and I was to a point, but at the same time, it's like, no matter how empathetic you is, especially if it's not your kid, at some point you're like, that kid is fucking wild, you know? Yeah, give him two sedatives.
1: Well, oh, that... You know what I liked was Chekhov's magic and Sleight of Hand actually does come back at the end. And when he ninja vanishes... (laughs) Listen, listen, as, as, as problematic as he could have been, I thought just his performance because he just had that naive energy of a kid. And then there was that line in the movie when she says something along the lines of Samuel sees things that the way they are. Like there's just he knows he instinctively understands like he's maybe mm-hmm. got some next level perception is there but he's got shit timing when <laughs> a, when social oh, services oh,
0: come into your house the last thing you want is your child saying I don't feel good because of the
1: drugs mommy gave me it's like shut the <laughs>
0: fuck up go to your room you know <laughs> well
1: I mean there's even the moment and this is why I what I really like about Jennifer Kent's work is I think if you were to show this to a younger person they might be bored. By, by it because this is very adult fare and I do think there are films that work better based on your experiences but you talked about the bad timing but the moment when she had to herself after finally watching some films finally having that moment by herself and oh the masturbation jump scare yes that I had totally forgotten about that point as well and that kid it just like you said his timing of interrupting these key moments with her and you can see even something as simple as that and that's why I like what Jennifer Kent's work. That doesn't seem like something you would normally see in a standard horror film. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's still approached, though, very respectfully mm-hmm. in a funny way. But also, that's another element of her breaking down and just the Babadook starting to rise more and more. She doesn't
0: even have time for herself no, to not.
1: breathe. You know? And then, the,
0: not only that, not only is the kid, like, well, for lack of a better term, annoying as shit, he's also violent. And he's also like, yeah, he's a sociopath about to happen. He's already taking weapons to school. He's he's,
1: good sunning the neighbors, like knocking everybody out of the trees <laughs> and shit. Like, did, w- did we need to call this? We need to talk about Samuel rather than <laughs> you <laughs> we know need to the talk Babadook? about Baba <laughs> Duke. Yeah. Well, no, legitimately though, and that I even remember the first time I saw this in the theater. His first little come out, when he comes out with his little, I'm going to get the monster with this thing. I was like, oh, cool. It's That's, the Goonies. right? It's the Goonies shenanigans. I was waiting for it. But no. Oh, no. We no, no. Don't. No. No. And I think also going in the second time, because the first time I kind of like with Eugenius, I had heard of the hype. I had heard this great monster film, very scary. And like I said, I enjoyed it. Knowing what it truly was this time, I could really take in the human elements, um, every bit of her little bit when she just keeps rubbing the her, side, her clenching of the, the jaw, clen- yeah, just, the, just her stress eating at her. Oh, it just every little thing like that. So you know, at this point, Dee, Dee is this a film that you revisit quite a bit? How many times? What is your experience with this since your first theatrical? Because, like I said, this is my only the second time. Genius, the second time.
2: Um, I think I saw it in the one more time because i'm pretty sure i saw it then when it got a theatrical release and i got invited to the press screening. i was like fuck yeah um i've seen it i think only once since then okay um so it's not necessarily something that i actively seek out but i definitely when i think of it i have quite a great affection for it mm-hmm. um and i think for me i just watch too many movies like i don't actually get to rewatch that many things um, But I'm very excited to keep an eye on Jennifer Kent. So like, I might not go back and revisit this, but she's definitely going to be like one of the directors. I'm going to be first in line for her next thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there was there was a particular scene that really stood out to me this time, and it was, and I hate to, I don't want to trigger you your genius, but it was very hereditary esque, and it's when she is having that moment when the Babadook has taken over her. it's the P scene is basically when she unleashes on him, and there's that shot when she just glides over to him. Yeah. That, I mean, I was reacting at home watching that, going, oh, my God, it was just, it kind of it struck me. And then she just unloads on this kid. And I remember the first time when I saw Hereditary, and she's got that moment, the dream sequence, and she, you know, I never wanted you, and covers her <laughs> mouth, you know. And, <laughs> which you need the levity with that, because these are just such intense and just terrifying scenes and that was the joy of this movie, was those little moments that really I did not remember that first time, but then just really made such an impression on me. Were there any other scenes that like stood out for you, Genius? Um, actually, I was just engaged in the whole movie, um,
0: but... <laughs> I hate to say that I cheered when she was yelling at him, you know, because, I mean, he put <laughs> glass in the soup. And I don't say, like, you should be yelling at the kid, but at the same time, you need to discipline before it gets to the point where you guys are actively trying to kill each other. And, like, I I can't fault her for what she did because she was trying her best, mm-hmm. but just just seeing her devolve into grief and sadness and everything. But I did, like cheer when she's at that awkward party and that she you know i do help with uh disadvantaged women oh fucking great way to go i'm so proud of you and i was like you know what (laughs) fuck yeah tell them off because like they're over there talking shit you know i mean she needs that release Mm -hmm. like and she didn't have it and i don't know if it was like her own like sense to be the perfect mom or 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 what because you know there that is that pressure to be the perfect parent and but at the same time it's like you obviously have to know something is wrong with your kid and you obviously have to do something and ignoring it and placating it like that's okay he's just curious you know that's not going to cut it when he's over there like using his his inspector gadget contraptions to stab other children in the playground
1: well, and I mean I think a lot of it goes to the fact that she's in constant denial of everything. Yeah. The fact that she mentions, "No, I I'm over it because I don't talk about it. I don't bring it up at all." And you just mm-hmm. see that corrosive effect uh, that it goes through. She wasn't feeding the gator.
0: She wasn't feeding the gator, and that's the problem. It's like you have to f- you have to feed that gator or it's or you have to feed the babadook or it's going to Eat you. It's going to just destroy you and everything you love. And she wasn't doing that. And like you could see the ramifications of it to the point where she's snapping at everybody, yelling at everybody, even that poor old lady that was trying to help. Oh, yeah. You know, fucking mind your own business, you know, and it's like, God damn. You know, so it's like heartbreaking. This is a heart fucking it, breaking movie.
1: Well, and I, I guess we should give a little credit here to um that is Essie uh, Davis as Amelia, because she's asked, incredible. oh my God, her journey, what she portrays in that film. And this is another thing I think uh, what makes Jennifer Kent so good is her relationship with her actors and what she can coax out of them because mm-hmm. she's asking asking them to take a perilous journey. And it's uncomfortable at mm-hmm. several points in the film. And that's what's kind of incredible with this movie is the fact that it's uncomfortable, but I'm still like, I'm engaged. And I'm going to continue to watch, which again, is that, is that us feeding our gator at that point? I think so.
2: Well, one of the things I really, I, we haven't really touched on it yet that I love, love, love about the film is the ending. Like I love horror films that acknowledge that you can't go back. Like you can't, you have to reset the status quo. Your life is never going to be okay again. Mm-hmm. Like I do get frustrated when like at the end of a slasher, they're like, you survived. I'm like, Yeah, but they're fucked up for the rest of their life. Like, Mm -hmm. and then you maybe get like Halloween too. Like you get the Rob Zombie sequel and you actually see how this affects the rest of their lives. So like, I do appreciate the fact that like, it's not denying its own roots of acknowledging the lasting effects of trauma by having the ending be like, and then we're fine. Like, that's not the case. Their entire lives have changed because of this. And of course, because of, you know, all all the traumas that have come up until that point.
0: I loved the ending. I really, really did because you will never get rid of your demons. You will never get rid of your demons and you will especially never get rid of your demons if you ignore your demons. If you know Mm -hmm. what is fucking you up, that's like, and you can say like, okay, look, if I don't deal with this, it's going to just tear me up again and again and again and again. So like you said, it's, it's it's a happy ending because yes, the monster is still around and she has to deal with the monster, but that's more true to life than like yep. any other type of horror movie. It's way more the only other movie that has an effect like that would be like the Saw, because at least we know what happens to Amanda throughout the thing and how that her the jigsaw ordeal did change her. Mm-hmm. You know, but this isn't like we never find out what happens to um uh Annie and Halloween 2, or not, uh, uh, Friday 2, you know? Oh, yeah. And we never never find out what happens to any of the survivors. But in this one, we realize, okay, their life is changed, but at least they can deal. At least they acknowledge that there's something awful in the basement. And even the kid's like, I want to see it. And she goes, not until you're older and you can handle it, but at least you know it's there, Mm -hmm. you know? So... The whole using the Babadook for grief, postpartum, um, whatever, it was was great. And her, like, just oblivious, not obliviousness, but just, like, obliviousness to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. when she's driving the car and he's kicking. And I was like, oh, my God, is this what happens, like, whatever happened to Aunt Diane or something like that? Where you hear about those women who just decide to drive off into Into the river with their kids? Like... Is this what happens? Because I can see it, you know. And so, like, it made the movie made significant more amount of sense this time, you know. Well, and
1: then also knowing now that Mr. Babadook or Babadook to his friends, I guess, knowing that he doesn't play a big part, were you better off with that then? Yeah. Okay. Because
0: especially like. I think one of my main beefs is like, well, if he's gonna be this big scary monster that's
1: coming out of nowhere, and at the very
0: end, we should at least be able to see the fucking monster. But then now I'm like, you know what? Our own personal monsters is what that represents. It's that is a Rorschach monster, and I like that aspect of it. It's your own whatever you bring into it. Because like, I can guarantee you, my Baba Duke is gonna look a lot different than anybody else's other Baba Duke. You know, I especially though I think it's going to look better than like some dude in a top hat, you know, because like <laughs> he was creepy when he was crawling around. Oh. But when he was just standing there, I was like, OK, you got a top hat. I'm thinking Danny DeVito, the penguin. And I'm thinking like <laughs> just uh, like <laughs> sexual magnetic attraction, you know. And so it kind of threw me off. But then when you see just the shadows and the demons, I was like, mm-hmm. OK, that is genuinely
1: terrifying. What was your What were your thoughts on the actual monster design of the Babadook?
2: Oh, I thought it was incredible. I like, I mean, um, to Genius's point about him being like a Rorschach test, like the fact that on a rewatch you start seeing him in places that mm-hmm. he probably isn't. Yeah. Like, I find that absolutely fascinating. And the fact that it is so innocuous, like, yeah, it's just a dude in top hat with like pointy weird ass fingers who moves really unnaturally. Like the fact that he's a humanoid, but it's kind of in the uncanny valley because he doesn't really physically move like a human like that's so unsettling to me but just the fact that like I mean just like our trauma and our grief it's following her everywhere like that's terrifying yeah I don't know it's it's kind of like a London after midnight like thing for me more than the penguin not that anyone's seen that movie (laughs) but we all know the pictures of it um yeah yeah i don't know maybe i have a thing about guys in top hats and i do not want them following me around
1: you know the, a lot of the films we watched last month probably launched a thousand fetishes i love guys with top hats <laughs> i just want to be
0: like overture curtain lights you know like the only thing would make it better if that kid would have snatched that babadook's hat and like pulled a rabbit out <laughs>
1: well well now wow actually I didn't think we needed a sequel technically, but if we get the further adventures of Samuel there, oh my god, that's...
0: I'm going to bring out my assistant, Mr. Babadook. What do you think?
1: Ah! And he's like screaming and he's kicking
0: like the, the, the Egyptian tomb magic trick.
1: Do you think then that he takes the uh, Dr. Sleep approach in terms of uh, putting it in a box then potentially in his mind down the line? And then when like a magician, you know, Ta-da. saws it in half potentially... I I I just do I do appreciate the fact that this movie is a film that is going to be different to different people, and again, depending on the moods and their change. It just it's it's a transformative film. It's it one of those that I've really grown to appreciate more and more, even thinking about it now, and just conversing and just seeing its effect on other people as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's it was it hit me hard. I mean, yeah. harder than I expected it, especially going in thinking like. Ugh. Ugh, you know, but like, and coming out like,
1: goddamn. So a couple of words of warning on this one and two bits of trauma that I always have issues with. For And they come back to back. And that's what I totally forgot is first and foremost, there is some dog trauma on this and teeth trauma as well, or specifically tooth <laughs> trauma. And that was a back to back one. And I was like, goddamn, with the dog. And I'm like, goddamn, with the teeth. Was not ready for that. And just that moment. The the book itself, that second iteration that comes back that gets more graphic with the pop-ups, I grew to appreciate the production design in this film, the sound design in this oh, film, yeah. that scuttling mm-hmm. and scurrying he does, with a good sound system, that stuff is next level. Well, but it was great in the in the music because it sets up
0: and it's all very scary, and then she'll close the lid and everything stops. And that's like her like saying like I'm not thinking about it anymore. I'm out. Meanwhile, that music is still playing in the background. You know, it's, again, she's not feeding the gator. And I thought it was brilliant the way when she would throw it into the trash or whenever she was just like, I'm washing my hands of it. The music, the scary music just absolutely stopped, even if it was mid-scene or anything. And I was like... I see what you're doing. I, I like what you, I God. like what you're doing. I like I like that. I <laughs> like that whole like metaphor and the fact that it's coming back. And you're not going to get rid of the background creepy music. And you're
1: not going to get rid of the Boba Duke. Did any of you grow up with those pop-up books by any chance? Not the scary kind. Not the scary. Well, not the Boba Duke kind. But <laughs> I, I actually had one for like Star Wars that was actually really freaking rad and. Not difficult to utilize, but I never thought i I'm like Julie. I literally would break them because I'd get yeah. so excited and like, you know, I this is where we need an alien pop up book with the chest mm. burster chest or, or burster. just yeah. I'm now I'm thinking about that. There's or a there's one con-
0: where you open it up, and it's actually Jonesy that scares you. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: untapped potential in this market.
0: No, my my uh. Books kept. I had a Sesame Street one that was fucking rad, and it had the ones where you could pull the tabs and stuff. But I always wound up pulling the tabs out because I went too far, yep, or yep. like, hey, open the door and you'll see Grover, and I'd open the door, but I ripped the door off the hinges, and I'm like, oh! you know, I'm, I still, <laughs> that's still a problem I have to this day of not not necessarily ripping the ta- doors off hinges, but opening the door too hard, or like pulling tabs out too forcefully, or something. So.
1: You're a man of passion and strength, genius. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> Final thoughts uh, before we transition from the suburbs into the outback here with um, the Babadook.
0: I like the fact that she was honest with the doctor. That seems to be the only person she was really honest with her with because everybody else she was putting on that fake front. Yeah.
1: But with the doctor, she's like, I really need help. I really need this. She actually has a line in that scene where I believe it's like I'm not coping well and yeah. she finally addresses it which is wonderful mm-hmm. but even addressing it is that's only the first step it's you know then you have to deal with it then you have to go through that process and yeah I'm curious to see how that how that how that takes but isn't that good though that's kind of the value of therapy is that objective you know third party that's not going to judge you that's hopefully going to try to take care of you
2: Mhm yeah yeah Yeah, I agree. And also, I really, I really appreciate when women on screen are allowed to be flawed and complicated, like, and it's, she's not even, she's just trying to get by, like, she's not trying to, like, you know, have dinner ready for her husband when he gets home and wear pearls and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I feel like there's, you know, the whole, like. I don't know, you're either a saint or you're a whore when it comes to women. And it, this shows just how messy that is and how she really wants to be a good mom. But she's not just a mom. Like, she's got other shit going on. Like, she's got other things that are on her mind. Like, her child is not her only focus. And that was refreshing as well.
1: Yeah. That entire scene when she takes the afternoon off from work and even the way it's shot, it just seems like dreamy. Like, and it's just that moment she has to herself. But then my anxiety kicked in. Ten missed calls. Oh God! Oh God! Yeah. Again, little <laughs> yeah. bits of the film. I forgot. I was like, Oh no! And then that that whole scene. It just again. There's these little bits and pieces of these everyday things that I'm pretty sure people have experienced before. Everyday norm. Th- Let me ask you this: Is this a film that you could show the normies out there?
0: I think so. I think so. I think because it's not. It's not overly gruesome Mm -hmm. it's not overtly violent Mm -hmm. and the themes of dealing with grief or whatever your issue is is universal Yeah,
2: yeah. I always find that people often when they say they don't like horror they just don't like gore and we all know you know people on this call Mm -hmm. that those are not always one in the same the Venn diagram is pretty broad there so yeah I don't know I, I do I'm not a hugest fan of the word normies but like I'm friends with plenty of normies. They're perfectly fine people. Oh, no,
1: Um, we we love them. We love (laughs) love the normies. They're our barometer for a lot of things. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I find that, like, I don't know, one of my friend's wives, she doesn't like horror films, but she loves films that are intense. So sometimes we'll show her something like this and just not tell her that I consider it a horror movie and she'd never be able to tell the difference.
1: Well, and that's what I I think with the, The Babadook, truly a horror film.
0: Oh, absolutely. Go forward to the next one. Uh, Two things. One, I really enjoyed the fact that the mom was not just a mom. Kind of like what you were saying, Dee. In a lot of either movies or even people's own minds, if they're a parent, that's all they are. But this one Mm -hmm. says, okay, she's not a parent. She not just a parent she works at a the nursing home so she's a nurse so she's a caregiver she's also a sexual being she's also a human with needs and wants and just desires even if it's just to be alone for five minutes and like that's the thing i think Mm -hmm. a lot of not to say that a lot of people like put because if you're a mother You do deserve respect of your child as long as you're not a shitty mother. But a lot of people are like, I'm a mother, and that's all I am, and that's all I will be, and that's all I want to be. But, and even in movies, we see that, like the whole like Warden June Cleaver aspect of it but this mm-hmm. wasn't it. She was a fully realized person where you felt sorry for her at times, you felt good for her at times, you felt pissed off at her at times, you felt vindicated for her at times. You also like what the fuck are you doing at her at times, you know? And so she's a very complex real character and I really enjoyed that this fantastical world and the kid I'm sure their children like that. And I'm sure that it's a struggle to raise a child like that. I don't know how it is, but I would imagine like it would be rough. And so like she's doing the best she can. And the kid's as crazy as he gets and kicking the seats and annoying as shit, he still loves her and he still wants to protect her. And and the end and they she still wants to protect him, and that's what it should be. And it was heartbreaking and sad and uplifting all at the same time. And as much as I just like and I champion her, fuck her for killing the dog, even though she was possessed by the <laughs> bob. She lost cool points with that. That's cool point. But the kid got cool points for me too, because any kid that incorporated ninja vanish technique instantly is cool in my book. If I had like those fireworks where I'm like uh ninja vanish if I don't want to be in a situation I go
1: genius <laughs> all you have to do is go on the internet
0: right and I, and you bought him for me you know <laughs> so with your credit card so did he steal the card or did she buy it for him like did she really buy it or did he's like 753777
1: seven, seven, seven. he he's pretty clever in fact there was those moments where I really would love eventually a film Expendables, like where we could have him, <laughs> Kevin McAllister, the kid from Dial Code Santa Claus. Let's throw fool in there. Let's throw fool.
0: Let's throw the kids from uh, Bloody Birthday. Oh God! You know, or Devil Times Five, and then just like
1: just let them go
0: hog just let wild, him go uh,
1: bow royale style. Well, and I, I guess that's why a part of me did appreciate him because he did have that undying love. He was really just almost the sole voice of reason. Which is kind of crazy, considering you know his his situation. So this is a it's a complex film. That's why I love. Mm-hmm. That's why, like I said, I went from like to loving it. And a film that even our friend Jenny, who works uh, uh, here at Screenland, I was like, oh, have you seen the Babadook? And she's like, I haven't watched it since I watched it in the theater and that kid and the <laughs> monster. I was like, you might want to revisit it, you know, because it'll it'll definitely change. I'll be the first one to say that. If
0: yeah. you didn't like the kid when you saw it the first time, I would definitely give it a rewatch. I mean. I went from disdain to liking. You know? Like you went from like to love. I went from I like this movie. I think it's really I think I'm not gonna say it's really good and it's fucking great and all that. It but the acting is really good, the directing is really good, the the, the scares are really good. I enjoyed this movie significantly more than I thought I would. So props to that one. I mean, Jennifer Kent knocked it out for me. The fact that makes me
1: pull a 180 like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's in the way, then. Thank you, Didi, for having Genius <laughs> get a chance to revisit that, because I think, much like how The Invitation did for me, ideally, I think this might be a transitional moment for you, my friend. I
0: hope so. It <laughs> will. It will. I'm on, we're going to make it.
1: We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Now, I, I'm not putting this off, but man, oh, man, you talk about hype with movies. I remember the Duke's hype, and it didn't really affect me too much. Yeah. was like, eh. Uh, I also remember the hype for her next film and had heard of scenes in this film that when we were screening it here at Armor, they were putting up some trigger warnings at the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and it may have been because of that, because the revenge genre, I enjoy the films, but there's an issue of, is the revenge satisfying for the audience or is it satisfying for the character? And then the complications that come from that And I went in, it took me a long time to get to this, but I'm glad I watched The Nightingale. It was brutally beautiful, but it's one of those films that I don't know if I'm going to be able to take in again in quite some time. And if I do, I've got to prepare myself for this. This has become one of those films that I need to work up to because, man, oh, man, was that tough. Dee Dee, what was your experience with that?
2: Oh, man. I, you know, apologies ahead of time. I have only seen this film once because I did not want to bring it to myself to watch again for catching up before this episode. But I saw it at the Chicago Film Critics um, Film Festival here in, I want to say 2019, I believe. Like it was, you know, before it got its theatrical release. It did have a trigger warning ahead of it. And I, so I know that, you know, we've talked about genius getting fucked over by having expectations going into a film. I, before I see something, I try not to read anything about it. I do not watch trailers as a personal I haven't watched them intentionally in years and I actually once had a very weird date where I had to flee a theater when they started showing trailers. I came back. <laughs> um, but I try to not have my expect. I try not to have my value of a film measured against expectations. So I just knew like, oh, it's a Jennifer Kent film. She makes horror films and I like those. Um, so I did not know how much joy this film would suck out of my life for the screen time like in the best way possible I mean that is you know the Mm -hmm. highest compliment I can give Mm -hmm. but I was not prepared for this film and the realism of it and just like you were just talking a little bit about like revenge kind of has the potential to feel hollow and that the fact that it's not a happy ending even though it could be like I mean it was incredible I you know wrote up my review right away and then just like Cuddled with my cats for hours and wept silently. Like it's just really had a strong effect on me.
1: How did people react in the theater? Because we we talked about the theater theatrical experience is totally different from an in home. Did Mm -hmm. did anyone walk out? Were there visceral many people
2: walked out. Okay, many people walked out, which was shocking. Like I don't know if you guys are familiar. Like the Music Box Theater in Chicago, like. It's an amazing theater. They show really great stuff. This is during a film critic run film festival. Like you're going to have to expect some interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. They had a trigger warning ahead of time. And I throughout the film. People were leaving. Mm-hmm. And it, especially after, you know, the first rape, a lot of people were like, I'm not going to be into this. And then the fact that that has to be qualified as mm-hmm. ha- which number of rape it was like, mm-hmm. and they didn't even get to see that. Like infanticide. Ooh. Is that how you pronounce it? Like, yeah, yeah, so the, I I I think, with the exception of Neon Demon, the most number of people I'd ever see walk out of the theater happened during this. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's
0: genius. I didn't hear any of the hype. I mean, like, I knew with Jennifer, here's the thing when there's like from the maker of the Boba Duke, and at the time I was like, <laughs> pass, <laughs> pass, you know? So, like, when I'm not interested in a movie, I, this is, as they say in German, this is sausage to me, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I have no stake. So I was like, okay. I actually watched uh, Nightingale before I watched The Babadook. Oh, goodness. Right? So, like, I was like, all right, well, let's see. I'm going to go in thinking, like, okay, putting, like, this is from the maker of Babadook aside. Right, you're biased. And just watch this on its own merits. And it was beautiful. And I was like, okay. I heard it's brutal now it is oh shit oh shit and so then i was like that is a very graphic rape and then like it gets worse than the the second one and then like shut that baby up and i'm like oh no don't 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 and like shut that fucking you wanted a peace call and i was like no i'm sitting there like this is horrible and i'm just like a gasp and just like No, don't, don't, don't. I'm, like, yelling, like, oh, no, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not like I haven't seen, like, rape in movies or revenge films like that. But this one was just so realistic and just so, like, vile and just it was building. And you knew shit was going down from the moment she starts singing and everybody's like, you know, you're like, god damn, this can't end well, (laughs) And the fact they're like, oh, it's the filthy Irish that they're bringing in convicts, and then more. And the, I'm like, Australia has always been terrible. You know, there's always, it's always been like a place of death. You know why? And then when he killed the baby, I was my jaw just went boom because it's not graphic, but you can still see it in the background happening, even though it's blurry. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's there. And it was then the lack of sound. Yeah. From the baby crying mm-hmm. to the hit. And it I also viscerally reacted. I was aghast. And, you know, we're all about theater etiquette. You know, no talking, no texting, all that. But the reactions, though, yeah. when people legitimately react to something like that, that floored me. And just the level of violence. It's, it's, it's a period piece revenge film, which the authenticity, which I always appreciate in a period piece, I appreciated in this one. But then that level of realism with the brutality... That was just such a tough watch, and mm-hmm. knowing the toll it's going to take, and then realizing, oh, this is another film about dealing with grief and trauma, and Jennifer Kent has got a thing. And let me tell you something: the two films she's put it through, it's a good thing because it's I a think good bad thing. It's a good, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it affects you. I yeah. mean, it truly does. And I
0: think if they would have went either, I think she did right by having it kind of blurry in the background because if it was off screen it would still be effective but not as effective and if it was in your face yes. it would have been exploitive mm-hmm. and it would have been just like okay I'm out I'm done I'm done you know mm-hmm. but the fact that they did it where you can't ignore it mm-hmm. but yet it's not in your face it's that was a very awful tightrope walk yeah and a successful awful type ro- rope walk
1: Let me pose a question to everyone. Do you think that balance is achieved because she is a woman and she's not going to necessarily exploit it? Does that come into play?
2: I see her role as a female director taking place more in her characterization and their interactions than necessarily, like, whether or not she cuts to seeing, like, the baby's head. (laughs) and. Um, Yeah, I mean, I do think that, like, I would like to think that a male director could handle it with the same level of grace, if we can call it that. Um, But I do think that, like, so much of the film is crawling into this horribly traumatized woman's head and seeing how she reacts to things. And I do think that a female director had her own take on it that I'm not sure that a man would have. Mm
1: -hmm. That's fair. That's fair. And that just was one of those things that I was thinking about because we... We had not a disastrous screening, but we did a um, a Saturday night sleazy double feature many, many moons ago where we screened uh, Class of 1984 and Reform School Girls. And we, yeah, th- thank you, Dee, Dee. We, we, You should have been there for that. It wasn't that disastrous. <laughs> it wasn't, but there's. We didn't have that many walkouts. There's that scene, though, in Class of 1984. And it's a rough assault scene, but it's mm-hmm. more gratuitous. And it's directed by a man, Mark Lester and that's what i was thinking of when i was watching the nightingale because i knew the scene was coming the violence is harsh the assault is awful and i'm just like oh, how many of these scenes have i seen but at the same time is this like an irreversible where mm. it's just oh, i mean that's no way's film i always i want to experience them but i never want to watch them again but with the nightingale though as brutal as it was if i can get through that first you know 25 minutes i think then you get this crazy road story, and you get these two people just finally finding that common ground and that common bond and revenge. Go- going, yeah, revenge. Well, then going beyond the racism that's going on. You know, um, I just recently watched uh, John Hillcoat's *The uh, Proposition* for the first time, and there's a line in that movie that is similar in this one, and it's all about um, we're going to civilize this land. And y- exactly, it's that hubris of this toxic the whole colonialism and just there's there's a lot addressed in this film, yeah. and I going in, I thought it might be too much, but quite honestly, the way it was kind of balanced, it actually worked for me. Um, I'm kind of curious, Didi, what what was your take after we get through the scenes and then we start going on the road and we unfortunately start seeing the. treatment of the aboriginal people um what was that like for you initially
2: i mean i think it just goes to show that this trauma is not isolated like this is not you know this thing happened and it's because these men are so exceptional and no one would ever do this like it's a symptom of their entire world and that extends to being a woman that extends to being an aboriginal um I do think, like, I mean, I know that we we talked a lot about like the universality of the Babadook and like all of your issues you can project up on screen along with those characters, and I, I don't, I mean, I it's not that I didn't connect with this because I definitely did, but I think that here because it's an, a film about horrible racism and treatment of those people in Australia specifically like not that other countries don't have racism but I do feel like it is so tied to the roots and the still fresh trauma that is still happening in Australia right now like I mean to your point like you're asking me like if a woman could do that it's like I don't think a non-Australian could make a film about specifically how aboriginals are treated
0: That's, I I 100% agree with you but I'll also take the stance that if you take this, it's not necessarily, I don't want to say universal for everybody, but it's definitely universal for colonized company for colonized countries. If you take this out of Aboriginal Australia and put this on the Trail of Tears, yeah, it would work fine. Or even if you would do it during the time of the railroad with the Asian American and the African American experience, it would still work because there's still that weird colonial not to say well i'm gonna fucking say it rich old white guys fucking ruin everything so it's like yes it's definitely if it stays in aboriginal i think then yet yeah, this is an extremely australian thing but i think the themes that it's dealt with for any country that's been co- colonialized and
2: i'll give you that to a certain extent but i was gonna say like i don't know how much experience you guys have with australia i've lived there before my sister just moved there um Tasmania is a very specific thing and they're referencing very specific things it's not that you were not getting a colonial vibe here but like right now if you picture like Tasmania is like Appalachia of Australia like ev- even Australians make fun of it for being backwoods and being impoverished and things like that even though it's actually not that bad now like that those are some of the references that Jennifer can I feel we don't need to understand in order to appreciate it. But if you do have that reference, the depth in which they're kicking these people while they're down just kind of amplifies. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So like almost like a cultural Easter egg of a sort.
2: Yeah, but not in a like weird an Easter way, egg. it's just like just, it's like it's, if we made a movie now about some guy who went to Florida, that would have so much more meaning than if he went to anywhere else. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Yeah, you can still watch it and you can still appreciate it and you can still definitely di- draw a lot of ties between this and all of the people that the English fucked over over <laughs> for millennia. But um, very specifically, the reference within Tasmania there does have weight, at least to Australians. And the fact that she is an Australian, like that means that weight is there intentionally, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Completely. Well, I no, mean even looking at the performances here, uh, the two leads, uh, Aisling Franciosi and Baikali wow. Gannonbar, I'm hopefully pronouncing that correctly, as Mangana. Uh, Mangana, excuse me. Again, fantastic. And given the material they're forced to work with, this goes back to kind of like, I in kind of what you were talking a little bit, Dee Dee, about uh, Kent's really, her relation with the actors. The stuff they're asked to go through in this movie is just, it's traumatizing. I mean, just even looking the, the filming conditions. How all the characters, even that little boy. Oh my God. Uh. Oh. I again first time viewing i was not expecting that i probably should have anticipated based on that guy's previous actions and even when the revenge truly hits like when um when claire finally kills the soldier she doesn't have the moment of catharsis that i think that she was looking for and even as an audience member with these films like with john wick and again totally different films but you know when he's getting all his headshots, we're rooting we're for him.
0: Like, yeah, kill that guy who killed the dog. But and then... I
1: guarantee there are probably some people that were rooting because these are bad men. Like we want to see them get their comeuppance, but but at what price to our protagonist that we don't want them to get even further broken? You know, they're already expressing these horrible things, and then I, I you know, again talk about not having kids or anything. I've never killed a person, and. I know that I anticipate that the trauma that would probably be horrendous. So even though she finally was able to kill the guy, you could see it. She immediately just empties out, and it's just profoundly affecting when that moment that you think is going to give you the catharsis doesn't.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then you're like, "Oh shit, what am I going to do then? Is there there nothing else after this?" And oh my god, that just it it gutted me as much as it did that guy. It was horrible.
2: There was almost yeah. It's kind of like at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre when Sally's in the back of the the pickup Mm -hmm. truck, I'm just like, no one's watching that being like, and she never had an issue ever again. Like that that poor girl is fucked. And that's kind of the same. I mean, there's much more catharsis in Texas Chainsaw, but like the, just the reflection upon the fact that this is not like, oh, and now her life is fine. Mm -hmm. Like, no, her life is worse and it's not going to get that much better because we've seen the world in which she exists now.
0: It's like you said, she got her revenge, but at what cost? She got her revenge, but did she get the catharsis that she needed? And I don't think she did. I think it cost her not only her her soul, her mind, her friend, her everything. It cost her everything on this tale of revenge. And she got wound up with nothing for it. Mm-hmm. In fact, almost worse than before. Not saying like, you know, the... I'm glad I'm glad she got her revenge. Let me say it that way, but at the same time again, at what cost? Certainly. I mean, it's a heart this is a heartbreaking <laughs> movie with no catharsis and you're just like you're just basically left to be like There you go. And you're like oh, what happened? What happened to the movie? What happened to me? And it's just like yeah. It's it was yeah. it was a rough watch.
2: It, it is to a watch. Rough... E- yeah, I was going to say to that effect. It's almost like In those scope, it's kind of like Blue Ruin. It's just like the revenge, and then what? Like, there's there's more story after the revenge, and it isn't all good.
1: There are kind of an interesting rash of revenge films that have come out that are designed, I think, with that purpose in mind. And maybe it's because we grew up with, like, the Miss 45... The Death Wish, and, and yeah, this one I thought yeah I went in thinking Miss 45 it would be like Miss Muzzle Loader or whatever it was Miss Erica, Musketoon you know but <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't hit you know and even the end when uh, Billy is gearing up for his bit of revenge after he's found out that his people are basically dead you know that's part of a film I normally would be rooting for I'd be like yeah go get him she's still trying to reason with him don't do this like we don't need to do this but even you know, for him Does he have that release at the end? It's just like, oh, it's so tragic and awful.
0: I think he might have because I think he knew he was going to go down. Yeah. I think he knew that Mm -hmm. this is a suicide mission. I'm not coming back, but I'm going to take out as many as I can before I go. And so, like, in that aspect, I think he got his catharsis because he already knew he was going to die. That's fair. But... Well nobody I, else did well, you know maybe so. that was
1: my problem because I was also like with Claire going don't do this this is not just you know maybe try to live let's deal let's be together we've obviously had this shared traumatic experience and you've got that moments where she goes from everyone using the word boy is just oh god damn just every utterance of it but for her to go from boy to billy to just having that connection at the very end when she sings to him on yeah. the beach uh her moments of the Nightingale when she does sing, from the first one that triggers everything to at the very end when she confronts him and gives the I wish one that, oh my God, that's heartbreaking, to the one at the very end. Uh, Her I, songs
0: always, they, they're, they're like, like in, a, in horror movies, you know the killer is coming when the dark clouds start coming in. You know some <laughs> terrible shit's about to happen when she starts, starts singing a song. And it's just <laughs> like... Because after she sings, horrible, horrible shit happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now. But I love the scene when they're sitting together, and Billy was like, I don't know why you think you're trying to placate me. You're you're just a white woman. Nobody's going to give you, nobody, you don't care. And she goes, I'm not a British white woman. I'm an Irish woman, and we've been shit on just as bad. And so they find that common ground where they have a common enemy, Mm -hmm. where they have, where, like, Again, old rich white people fuck up everything, you know? So like We do. That we was do. that was a good thing to have. Like <laughs> no matter no matter how no matter what you are in life, you know, no matter who is oppressing or or berating you, it's not a cold comfort, but you're not the only one that's getting shit. No. And that and you can find common ground. With that, and you can have a common enemy, and I think that's something that we're seeing nowadays. You know, yeah. that's something that we're seeing, like when when it's not just African Americans that's being persecuted. It's also the poor. It's also Mexicans. It's also women. It's mm-hmm. also everything. We all have these common issues and these common demons that we're fighting and it wasn't until they worked together and they realized that they had these common commonalities not only in, in in situations but in 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 the ones who are fucking them over then that's when they okay yes we can do this we can do this again at what cost but again it's not until you find that common ground and that's another i think a
1: lesson in this movie that i really enjoyed
2: mm-hmm.
1: Completely. It's it's celebrating our differences, but enhancing our commonalities. Yes. And it's honestly, especially in the pandemic. I mean, this is a a worldwide global pandemic that is affecting everyone. And this is one of those times when it would be wonderful for us to come together somehow. And ideally, I always think cinema can be that gateway for a lot of us, especially of us genre nerds that, you you know, just basically ingest all this stuff we prepared. I'd like to think when it comes to that. <laughs> got a got a feel of Robert Edgars and the Witch, obviously. Mm-hmm. With this, a little bit of uh, Osgood Perkins with Gretel and Hansel. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, I did get a lot of Osgood Perkins and 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 the Witch with this. I really enjoyed it.
1: And, you know, I I legitimately l- really enjoyed the film, but I don't know when I will be revisiting it. Now, yeah. the Babadook, I'll revisit again. But man, the Nightingale, you know, it, well, it used to be with the texas chainsaw massacre with like maniac those were movies that i used to have to prepare for but now i've gotten to the point where i can just throw them on and i'm good so i don't know if the nightingale is one of those because i don't really feel like i'll just be like ah feel a little quirky let's throw on the nightingale who's ready for a good time
2: <laughs> oh god and i don't know no, if it's I... like yeah i'm like there's like this and the tribe i don't know if you guys have seen that like there's like... Very small number of films where I'm just like I'm good. I'm never gonna be in the mood to watch this. Never. No. Yeah.
1: I'm putting this one on the pantheon that goes there. But I do appreciate and I, I'm glad that I experienced it though mm-hmm. because it's a movie oh, that absolutely. I think you need to experience. So I might watch it again, but not anytime soon. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so find our final thoughts here on the Nightingale.
0: I liked it. I like. <laughs> I liked this movie significantly better than the Babadook. So I mean. That means that, like, I am now looking forward to anything she directs now, because if you, like, I said earlier, from the maker of the Baba Duke, but now I'm like, oh, Jennifer Ken made this, I'm going to check it out because it's it's not necessarily rare for me to go to dislike to like. It happens, especially now more that I'm getting older, but it's when something that I really just dismissed and I can see a greater appreciation for it. And then to go on to her next work uh, the nightingale and just be blown away to the fact that I ultimately enjoy this movie, but I doubt I'll see it anytime soon. Cause it was so rough. I think that's like a Testament of to her style and her voice and her vision. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I agree with all of that. I think that, she's such an exciting director. I mean, if you look like, I know we've found a lot of commonality between this and the Babadook, Mm -hmm. but if you look like this is a period, like it's like steeped in like really heavy emotions and a lot of like physical violence. Yeah, The Babadook, I mean, it has the emotions there, but it doesn't have the physical violence. And the fact Mm -hmm. that she's letting us connect with all these characters that we might not actually have that much like in common with on paper. Mm -hmm. Like, my God, like the breadth and the ability that she has to make us give a shit is enormous.
0: Yeah. And the fact that you don't see any violence or any like horrible things in the Babadook. But yet Mm -hmm. in the Nightingale it is front and center and there's rape and murder and atrocities. And it's right there in your fucking face. It's it's almost night and day between the Babadook and the Nightingale.
1: She can do text. She can do subtext. (laughs) And <laughs> she can hit you over the head with the fucking book, is what she can do. Yes, yeah, yeah, she can. So, like, <laughs> no, I agree. I absolutely will be seeking out any and everything that she looks to do at this mm-hmm. point. Which actually is what we do with you, Dee So, thank you so oh. much for taking the time to talk with us here. Um, again, where can our listeners find you out uh, on your wares?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, the best place to find me is on Twitter, and my handle is ddcrim, that's D-E-D-E-C-R-I-M. Yeah, Remorgue Magazine, both online and in print. I write for Seville Weekly out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and thatshelf.com.
1: Awesome. So thank you so sincerely much. It's been way too long. We're going to do this again, because especially eventually when we get around to any... uh, dawn of the dead commentary or anything like that ready for any romero thing so question
0: since you did romero are you going to do another one on nicotero who is slowly turning into (laughs) romero both physically and visually
2: oh man he kind of is isn't he yeah no i don't think so but i do love him in day of the dead Oh, or you can see, like, little baby Nicotera. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, if you want to have me on for Dawn of the Dead, like, I did an hour-and-a-half-log interview with Richard Rubenstein. Like, <sighs> he invited me to his tree farm at one point. Like, I am on it for you guys. Richard Rubenstein is the shit. Like,
1: oh, his TV snap.
2: work is amazing. This is incredible.
1: Oh, uh, we will talk off-air. So... Uh, Again, we are going to be next week bringing in another one of our favorite women in horror to talk their favorite women in horror. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Bye-bye, dook,
2: dook,
1: dook.